All right, well, today we are closing out our, our Healer series, and man, I think this has been such a helpful series. But we started with the powerful reminder that for every hurt, God is our healer. That's who He is. That's who He is. That's what He does. He brings healing. That for all of the hurt and pain that life throws our way, God has healing for every bit of it. For our physical bodies, for our emotional world, for the damage done in the battle for our minds, God is our healer. He still heals today, and He has healing for you and for me today. Now, Today, as we close out this series, I want to talk about one, one more area that I think God may want to do some healing for some of us, and that's in the area of our hope. That's in the area of our hope. And as we talk about this today, like this might seem like an odd thing to include in a series about healing, because when something is broken physically, you can feel it. When something goes wrong in our minds, we feel, as, we feel it as runaway thoughts or in unhealthy patterns or in some other way. When something goes wrong in our emotional world, we feel it in our feelings, Right? But when our hope gets broken, the opposite is actually true. We know something is wrong because we don't feel hope anymore. We know something has gone wrong because we don't feel the hope that we once felt. What we once felt, we no longer feel because what we once dreamed of, we don't dream of anymore. What we once believed was possible, we no longer believe is possible. What we once prayed for, we have stopped praying for. What we once hoped could happen in the lives of, of someone that we care about, we don't hope for that thing anymore. See, here's the thing. You've been there and I've been there. And if you're there right now, what I know about you is that you don't like what you don't feel and you want your hope restored. You want your hope restored. And if you've, ne if you've ever been there or if you're there right now, here's what you know. Hopelessness may be best characterized by this question. Is it always going to be this way? Like, is it always going to be this way? I guarantee every one of us has asked that question at some point along the way of life. And some of you, you have asked that question about life as you face it in the here and now. Is it always going to feel like this? Am I always going to struggle in this area? Will relationships always be difficult? Will love always be so hard to find? Does parenting ever stop being hard? Will loved ones making poor decisions ever stop hurting my heart? Is life going to really feel like loss after loss after loss from here on out? I've been praying for years and I haven't found healing. Is God even listening? I'm surrounded by so much hurt and pain. When will that hurt and pain end? In other words, is it always going to be this way? When you lose hope, when your hope is broken, it can look a million different ways, but it always feels like that. And no matter how spiritually mature you are, when you're surrounded by difficult situation after difficult situation and things haven't changed in a, in a, in a certain amount of time, it's almost impossible not to feel that. Um, I, have a, I have a pastor friend who pastors a large church in a different part of the country. It's a church of about 5,000 people. And he passed, he's pastored this church for over 20 years. But he posted in a private pastor's group that we're a part of recently that for the last 18 months throughout the COVID deal, his, his church and his church members' immediate family, that his church has averaged three deaths a week. Three deaths a week, not just from COVID, but a bunch of COVID deaths in there as well. And his post was, I mean, it was heartbreaking. Like when I read like three deaths, like I, I can't, couldn't even imagine. His post was heartbreaking. And he asked this group of pastors this. He's, here's what he wrote. He said, will you pray for me and my church staff? We've been surrounded by so much death for so long, it feels like it's never going to stop. Would you pray for us that we would be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Is, doesn't, doesn't that describe hopelessness to you? 
Doesn't that sound like, like that hopelessness is ultimately the inability to see a way forward, the inability to see the light at the end of the tunnel, or finding it impossible to believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, or believe that there even is an end of the tunnel. It's thinking that the tunnel is all there is. It's the inability to see a, a way toward a better future. And it's not inability like you're incapable of ever seeing that. It's that something has gotten in the way. Something has taken that ability from you. In life circumstances, life situations have made it so that you cannot find a way forward from where you are. And if you've ever found yourself there, or if you find yourself right there, right now, today I want to I look at a story from the Old Testament that I believe gives us a really good glimpse at someone who feels, who felt what you feel right now. Someone who experienced what you're experiencing right now. Someone who felt that same hopelessness, but someone who also had someone in their lives that they could look to and turn to that would remind them that hope was not lost and that would return their eyes to the one who could truly bring hope. This story comes to us from 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're told this. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. This is the modern day, the, the ancient times equivalent of a pastor's wife. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. It says, but now his creditor is coming, creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Here's the translation. I have lost everything that I thought I could lose, and I'm about to lose something that I thought I couldn't lose, something that I thought couldn't be taken away from me. This woman has faced loss and is about to face more loss. The situation as she sees it is nearly hopeless, but she cries out to her friend, Elisha. In that day and age, to be a woman without a husband was incredibly vulnerable state to be found in. The husband was the source of provision and the source of financial stability. When her husband died, she lost that source of provision and she lost that source of stability. And if you're her, if you're her, you're thinking when the husband passed away and you lost that sense of security as well, I just need to hold things together until my boys are old enough to provide for me. I just need to hold things together for a few years until my boys are old enough to go to work, to go to do whatever they're going to do that will pro provide and will produce for the family. But now, as she tells Elisha, things have gotten so bad, I'm in so much debt trying to hold this all together that I am going to lose my kids. Like I lost my husband who was the past source of provision and production, and I'm about to lose my future. This situation seems hopeless. And on top of all of this, as I mentioned before, there's a very spiritual element to this. Her husband was a man of God. Shouldn't God be looking out for her with everything that her husband did for God? I mean, how do you move forward? Like, how do you move forward with all of that where hope becomes incredibly dim? And so verse 2, Elisha replied to her, well, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Elisha asked, well, what do we have? Like, what are we working with here? What's, I, like, I understand the situation is bad. What, what are we working with here? What do you have? And she says, your servant has nothing there at all, she said. Your servant has nothing there at all. This is a fascinating response from the woman. Right here, I'm going to be sensitive as I say this. Right here, I believe that she is guilty of a sin that we all tend to be guilty of in seemingly hopeless moments. And let me be very clear. Doubt is not a sin. 
It's not a sin to feel hopeless. Worry is not a sin. But I believe in this moment, this woman is guilty of what's become known as the sin of certainty. The sin of certainty. She is absolutely certain of the negative outcome. She's absolutely certain there is no good that can come. She's absolutely certain that she has nothing to work with. Absolutely certain that she has nothing that can make a difference. Absolutely certain that there's nothing she or anyone can do to change these circumstances. She has become certain of all the wrong things. John Piper, in a book called When the Darkness Will Not Lift, he wrote this, We should all fortify ourselves against the dark hours of depression by cultivating a deep distrust of the certainties of despair. Despair is relentless in the the certainties of its pessimism. But we have seen again and again from our own experience and others that absolute statements of hopelessness that we make in the dark are notoriously unreliable. Our dark certainties are not sureties. She has become certain of all of the wrong things. She has decided this cannot go well. And I, if you have ever found yourself in that same place, where you go, this can't end well. This, like, if it was going to end well, it would have, like, it would have turned around already. If you've ever found yourself in that place where you're saying those things, here's what I want to remind you of. In an uncertain world, don't be so certain of doom and despair. In an uncertain world, don't be so certain of doom and despair. For some of you, this is your negative thought pattern that we talked about last week. You spiral into a place where a good outcome is not even a possibility. Good can't happen. The relationship will never be right. The job will never come about. The house that you need to sell will never sell. You'll never lose the weight you need to lose. And there's nothing you or anyone can do about it. And if that's you, you have lost your hope because you have become certain of all the wrong things. That while you know you live in an unpredictable, uncertain world, you have allowed yourself to be convinced that hopelessness is certain. And I'm just going to tell you this, in a world where you can't always predict what you're going to want to eat in an hour from lunch, maybe, just maybe, it's possible that the horrible outcome that you're certain of isn't all that certain either. And so if that's you, here's a a phrase or a simple word that I think might just have the power to move you past the, the, the certainty of hopelessness. It's the word maybe. Would you write that in the comment section right now? Would you write that in the chat? Maybe. Maybe. Do you have anything that'll help you move forward? Maybe. Do you have what it takes to accomplish what God has called you to be? Maybe. Is it possible for you to lose that weight? Maybe. See, maybe is a word that's full of hope. In fact, here's how this played out in scripture. Hey, David, are you sure you can defeat Goliath? Maybe. Hey, Abraham, are you sure it's a good idea to leave home and to follow God's direction without a destination? Maybe. Hey, Jesus, you sure you can go live among them without sinning like one of them? Maybe. Maybe. Every hopeless situation in Scripture that turned around, the turnaround began with someone's brave, courageous, hopeful maybe. Can you be the parent that God called and created you to be? Well, maybe. Can you make it back from that early failure in that class to actually make a passing grade? Maybe. See, I'm not certain of anything. This is ultimately saying, I'm not certain of anything, but I'm going to remain open to the possibility that God can do what I don't think is possible. I refuse to close a door that God left open for him to move. Maybe, maybe breaks the power 
of certainty. Maybe breaks the power of the sin of certainty where we have become certain of all the wrong things. Maybe opens the door, lets the light in, lets the hope back in, lets it, reminds us that, that the failure and the, and the final outcome and the bad outcome is not as certain as we have believed it. Now, the other reason I think that her response here is so interesting is because as we're about to read, that's not her entire response. What we're about to read is actually a reminder that what she just said is not even really true. In the very next breath, she actually says what she does have. So she says, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except, except a small jar of olive oil. Except is this story's version of the word maybe. When Elisha hears except, God spots the maybe, and he points it out to Elisha. So in verse 3, Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and you, you and your sons. Pour oil into all of the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. See, here's the principle. Here's the principle I want, to, want you to get a hold of here. See it before you see it. See it before you can see it. See it before you can see it. Now, for, for someone who does not have an abundance of oil or the ability to generate oil, the command to go collect jars is a ridiculous command. See, like, why would someone need jars? Why would someone need jars? They would need jars because they have so much oil, they can't contain it in the jars that they currently have. We're told she has one small jar of oil, and the way that tradition reads this story, it's not even remotely full. Like, it's at the bottom of the, of, the, of the jar. She doesn't have an excess to deal with. She's quite literally running on empty. So the instruction to go collect jars seems absolutely irrational. So what is happening? Here's what's happening. Elisha is seeing something before he sees it. In other words, he has caught a vision of what's possible even when it seems impossible. He's seeing it before he can see it. In other words, before he sees this play out with his physical eyes in front of him, he is seeing the possibilities play out before him. He's seeing what could be and what should be, even when it contradicts what currently is. He is looking at a woman who's holding the only thing that she has besides her sons, and, she, and he says, if that's all that you have left, that's all that God needs to provide for you. I can see that somehow God is going to use that to accomplish your provision and your protection and the renewal and the salvation and the rescue of your sons and your situation. And so here's a question for you. If you feel like you have lost your hope, if you feel like hope has gone away, if you feel like you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're not sure there is an end of the tunnel, here's a question that I would have for you. Will you choose to see it before you can see it? Will you choose to see it before you can see it? If you're going to recover your hope, if you're going to find healing for your hope, if you're going to find that where it has been lost, you're going to need to decide to see it even when you can't see it. This, this is the essence of what hope is. See, see, faith is believed that God will do what he says he'll do, and he'll be who he's promised to be. Hope, on the other hand, is trust that God can bring about good because he is good. And even if he hasn't specifically addressed this situation, we cling our, we hold our hat on the fact that God is good and can bring good, even if he hasn't promised that he will bring good. Hope is the belief that he can, even if I'm not sure that he 
will, even if I'm not sure that he will. Hope is choosing to see the good before we can see the good. And here's the thing. Sometimes you making the choice to see the good, even when you can't see the good, will be the very thing that sparks the return of your broken and lost hope. Let me give you a couple ways this might play out for you. Let's imagine maybe the first few years of marriage, you're in the first few years of marriage, and it hasn't been the easy cakewalk that you hoped it would be. You don't know if things will ever get better, but you see it before you see it. You believe it before you're experiencing it. So you picture a day where the marriage will be what you want it to be, and you begin to walk and step and act toward that. School maybe hasn't gone the way that you planned. High school was easy. College has been so challenging. And you go, can I, can, I, can I even make it? You see it before you see it. You picture the day. You picture the day where you will one day be graduated. And then you take a step today and the next day and the next day and the next day working toward that picture. So maybe you're struggling to lose weight to be healthier. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. But what if you see it before you see it? What if you can look into the future and see yourself healthy and active with your kids because you decided to step and step and step and step? You saw it before you saw it, and then you take a step towards it. Some of you, you just endured another difficult holiday with family. And you're going, is it always going to be this way? Will it always be this way? What if you see it before you see it? You picture a day where you enjoy a holiday together and you start working towards it. Let me, let me push this a little further towards some, some of the depths of where I think this can actually land with people. You can find yourself stuck in a pattern of sin. And in that moment, you can choose to beat yourself up with guilt and shame or you can choose to see it before you see it and believe that there will be a day when you no longer are controlled by the things that have led you to where you are. You see it before you see it. In other words, this isn't where I'm at right now. I don't even know how it's possible, but I believe there's a day where I will not be held by this same pattern of sin any longer. And since I believe it's possible, I'm going to take a step towards it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know where everyone's watching this from. Some of you, you might be watching this right now in a prison cell. And instead of beating yourself up for the next 18 months, you can see it before you see it. And so instead of beating yourself up for how you got in there, you decide to see it before you see it. And you can start planning and looking forward to the new man or the new woman that you will be when you leave and what it will be like to be reconnected with your kids and take a healthy, active role in their lives. You could decide like, hey, I, like, I could spend the next 18 months beating myself up or I can spend the next 18 months preparing myself for the day that I hope for. I, I'm going to see it before I can see it. You can be buzzed from last night's binge drinking. And instead of beating yourself up for making yet another bad decision, you can see it before you see it. And you look forward to a day of sobriety, a day where you don't need hard liquor to feel what you want to feel, a day where you can find real joy that's not at the bottom of a bottle, but it's found in a loving community. You can see it before you see it. And so even while you're still in the middle of the what you don't want to experience, you can picture what you do hope for. And you can begin right in this moment to take a step towards it. Will you see it before you can see it? If you're looking for something to revive your hope, that decision to look forward even when you can't see forward might just be your best bet. Now, the story goes on. Verse five, it says this. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jar jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not another jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Like, 
God keeps the oil flowing as long as we can contain it. There is a whole sermon there that God is not limited in His ability to provide. We are often limited in our, our capacity to receive. That's a whole sermon we'll preach someday, and we'll get to that some other day, but that's not really the sermon for right now. Verse 7 says this, She went and she told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live freely on what is left. It's an amazing story that for a woman at the end of her rope who seemed to have lost all hope, God reminded her in a vivid way that her hope was never in the amount in her checkbook, was never in the amount of coins in her purse, was never about her husband's ability to provide or her intelligence to figure out a difficult situation, that no matter how dark the circumstances seemed, this is our bottom line. Our hope can never really be lost when our hope is found in Him. Our hope can never really be lost when our hope is found in Him. That while our situations may seem hopeless, our hope isn't in our situations. That while our circumstances may seem hopeless, our hope was never in our circumstances. While our ability to solve the problem seems hopeless, our hope was never in ourselves. That we only lose our hope when we take our eyes off of the source of hope, off of the only legitimate source of hope. Our hope can never really be lost when our hope is found in Him. This reminds me of an incredible passage that, that comes to us actually from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it, it actually, it's, it's so interesting in the light of the fact that we just talked about jars of oil and we talked about, you know, jars of oil and jars of oil. Here's what 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this treasure in the jars that we, that we are to show that this all-surpassing power doesn't come from us. It comes, it comes from God. In other words, my hope is not, found, my, is, not found, is not found in my situations or my circumstances, and it's not found in myself. It is found in my heavenly Father. And because of that, I don't face hopeless situations like everyone else faces hopeless situations. I face hopeless situations with a heavenly Father who can provide, who can restore, who can do anything, who can bring healing to any situation. I face hopelessness with a heavenly Father who is with me. And Paul actually went on to describe how we face hopelessness different from the way the rest of the world faces hopelessness. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. In other words, like situations are going to confuse us, but we're not in despair because we believe in a God who there is no situation that's too big for him. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. In other words, people are going to say what they say about us and we're going to be treated badly on the streets. I mean, little, like in, in, the, in the first century Christians were treated badly wherever they went. We're persecuted, but we've never been abandoned by God. We, we've never walked through a single situation alone. God has always walked with us. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So here's the thing. The key to restoring hope is to return our sight to the only source of hope, the only legitimate and lasting source of hope. See, some of you, you have lost hope because you got confused about the source 
of hope. It is time to return your eyes and to return your sight and return your attention to the only legitimate and lasting source of hope. See, you lost hope because you put your eyes on the situation. It's time to turn them from your situation to the Savior. You lost hope because you put your eyes on the circumstances. It's time to turn them from the circumstances back to the cross. You lost hope because you put your eyes on yourself. Turn them from self to the only one who has ever lived a completely selfless life. He will be your hope and He will restore your hope. He will be your strength. He will be your provision. He will be your direction. He will be your healer because He is and He has everything that you need. That's why he's the only legitimate and lasting source of hope. That's why we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the beginning and the end of our faith. He's the only one to hope in. He's the only one who will never leave us, will never abandon us. He will be with us. And that's why we can be perplexed, but not abandoned. We can be perplexed, but not destroyed. We can be perplexed, but not in despair. We can be persecuted, but not abandoned. We can be struck down, but not destroyed. We can be pressed, but not crushed. We can face every situation, every hopeless situation with a hope that is alive because Jesus is alive for every hurt. For every hurt that life throws our way, God is our healer. And when hope is lost, He is the one who can and will restore it for you because He's the only source of hope we should ever look to. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today that you are our hope. God, thank you that situations and circumstances and ourselves and and the goodness of, of life or the badness of life like, does not ultimately determine our hope. And so, God, for some of us who have become so certain of, of, the, of the negative outcome, of the negative way this is that, that our situations and our circumstances are going to play out, God, would you help us to return our eyes to you? God, would you help us to give you our hopeful, courageous, bold, maybe? And God, to not be so certain about the uncertainties of life. God, help us to find our hope in you once again. Where our hope has drifted, where our eyes have drifted, where our attention has drifted, where our thoughts have drifted, would you help us to return our thoughts and our attention and our eyes to you as the only source of hope? Because God, when our, our hope is found in you, it can never really be lost. So God, return our eyes to you. And in doing so, would you bring about the healing and the restoration of our hope. Help us to find hope in a hopeless world. Help us to find hope in a hopeless situation. Help us to find hope in a, in a hopeless circumstance because ultimately we find hope in you, not the situation, not the circumstance, not in ourselves. Help us to find hope only in you. So God, do a work in us. Bring healing to us. Restore our hope. Restore our attention to you. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.